My name is Ken Holm. And, uh, well, I, I guess I really began doing things political all about 15 years ago. I always thought that I was born an activist, but it never really came together until uh, I started supporting a family. And then it became really deadly serious really quickly. The first thing I think that, that really got my attention was gun laws. And I was on the, on the wrong side on that one. I, in a certain sense, I was all for people carrying guns if they wanted to. And I was very much at that stage into that feeling of barricades and that 19th century mindset about revolutions and stuff like that. So, was, But, uh, oh, 15 years of underground journalism, I don't know, half a dozen papers, food banks, storefronts, interpersonal relationships, mm -hmm. all sorts of stuff like that. When when you were on the wrong side of the gun law issue, what was the, uh, uh, why did that make you active? I mean, why did that particularly spark you? Oh, I, I don't think there was any deep analysis in it, you know. I, I always grew up in the, in, with guns in the country, as most kids do in the country. There's always guns around, so I was always happy to have them and knew how to use them. And it, it's, a, it's sort of that right-wing libertarian thing about all we really need is everybody to go around with a 45 and a Bible, you know. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of sympathetic to that view at first. But there was, like, no big analysis in it. It was just about that time that I began looking into modes of expressing oneself politically and stumbled across the political ramifications of Christianity and anarchism. And then, oh... I guess it turned more to bread and butter issues mm -hmm. and empowering people. You get so damn disempowered working away day after day, year after year without... I don't know. It, it, it's a funny thing, I guess. I've been through half a dozen stages, I guess. Well, you sort of tend to define yourself as sort of uh, an anarchist in some ways, uh, or maybe in all ways. Uh, is that something you sort of felt that you've you've always been in a way, or is, did you sort of see the light and, and realize, not not necessarily in a, you know in an ideological way, but have you sort of always felt the weight of, of control and authority in your life? Oh yeah, definitely. Like I re I really feel that I was you know rebelling from the time I was two years old, rebelling in the family, and then rebelling in school like crazy, and then. After going out and, and doing the drug-induced hippie trip and everything and being sort of worn out and looking for something to stabilize myself, getting into a family situation and settling down, as it were, and doing serious work, 40 hours, 50 hours a week. And uh, then I it was as if I sort of ran into this 19th century political shit that was like 
I guess maybe it was necessary at that stage, but looking back on it, I think it was sort of infantile. And I see people all around me that are going through that stage. And I guess I really sort of feel condescending to people at that stage, but I do realize it's a stage you do have to go through. What, what, talk more about what that stage is. Well, I think it's, it's just, it just comes with when a person starts sitting down and reading Marx and Bakunin and, uh, all those heavy theoreticians, you know, mm-hmm. and even Marcuse and, and uh, the, the big 20th century socio-political thinkers. If you start into that stuff, you get kind of away from life and into theory. And we used to talk a lot about praxis, about wedding your theory and your activity. And at that time, for a couple of years, I was all theory. (laughs) And I didn't make the connection with driving a truck in the daytime with, with my grand theories in the evening, you know. Did your did your grand theorizing though come out of come out of reality or some out of out of some? Do you think it came out of some need in yourself and did you go looking for that stuff or did you just stumble upon it or? Uh, um, I don't know. I, I I definitely had a need. I felt disempowered. That's for sure. I didn't feel that I had oh the tools to deal with things. I, it was like you had to learn to crawl before you could walk. Right. And I don't know, it's, it's strange. I guess a lot of people sort of come to political awareness without going through that stage. Maybe it's just because I, I always was crazy about history mm-hmm. that I wound up spending a couple of years slogging through dusty old 19th century volumes. Right. <laughs> Have you married that with your reality now, to a certain extent? Well, to a certain extent, yeah. It's. I think it still swings back and forth, but the arc is not nearly as wide as it used to be. Mm-hmm. It's pretty hard to evade reality. Yeah. I mean, it's all right if you're if you're being spaced out all the time, and maybe it's all right even if you're just straight, but you're burying your head in science fiction constantly. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, it comes down to, you know, bread on the table. Do you ever feel frustrated because, um, I guess you might you might say that you have a... Because, because of what you've read and maybe the, the thinking that you've done as a result of that reading about anarchism and about other political things, you might have a greater sense of self-awareness about the processes that you're going through uh, you know if you it's one thing to sort of drive a truck during the daytime and be happy with that it's another thing to realize that driving a truck during the daytime is like maybe a bad thing <laughs> and uh, do you ever get frustrated because you know I mean you have a job now and does that does that is yeah. that at odds with with your politics and like emotional no no it's no, I, I, I don't know just exactly how to, to, to put it. It's not at odds, but I'm very fortunate because I've had lots of really lousy jobs. And the job I've got right now is, is sort of comfortable. It's sort of a comfortable thing. 
So, um, the philosophy, I mean, doesn't come into it, you know? I guess if there's any sort of application of philosophy, it's just that I'm not working in a suit and tie for a corporation. I'm working for a small company with a handful of, of people, and there's, there's a certain closeness, and, and a sort of brings relaxation, even though you're working hard, which I am. <laughs> Whereas if you were working for Trent Metals... Well, it would be totally different. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Your, your involvement in sort of things like storefront projects and the food bank and things like that, where would you say that that comes from in you? Is that, what sort of, where does that flow from in you? Well, I think it, I think it probably comes from a realization somewhere along the, the way, a few years ago, maybe four, five, six years ago, a sort of realization that it isn't all barricades and, and big words and big actions. It's day-to-day living with thousands of little actions. And it's not movements, and it's not masses, it's individuals. And a lot of this, too, I suppose, comes from my readings of, of people like Dorothy Day and Eamon Hennessy and the Catholic Worker Movement that stress they're not, they are not, re- they're sort of anarchistic, they are anarchistic, but they're not. It's it's more a kind of personalism. There's there's another catch word that goes with it that labels it, but I can't think of it right now. Mm-hmm. But it's based more on yes, the blockades are important and the political action is important and everything, but possibly more important is dealing with people as individuals. And you know, I was thinking today passing people downtown on the sidewalk, those people, you know, the ones who God knows where they sleep and where they eat and maybe they piss in their pants, I don't know. But I was thinking that in this homogenized world, talking to those people is a revolutionary act. Even... I know it very strongly myself. I want to rush by and ignore them. But who knows that maybe just stopping and talking to them for a couple of minutes and saying, I see you there. You're not invisible. I do see you. You know, and it's not necessarily giving money. It's it's giving recognition. That's a pretty radical thing to do, I think. Do you think that that not noticing those people, which is what most people seem to do, um, sort of the natural way of being, or do you think that that our that we sort of start off being compassionate, giving people or whatever, and we, we learn to be cold? Yeah, I think we learn to be cold. Or are we learning to be cold, or are we just is it a, is it a matter of something else? Is it is it wanting to ignore ignore a problem we don't we feel we, we can solve or well, I think it's, it, it, in a large part, I think it's a defense mechanism. Because you have to be pretty dull not to imagine 
you know, there but for the grace of God go I. I mean, it could be us, and maybe it was me a few years ago. The line between them and us really isn't very, very wide. I mean, what we don't know what they were doing 20 years ago. Or, you know, maybe they were a business executive in a three-piece suit 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. It's, It's likely. So when we see those people, we want to say, that's the dark image of myself, and I can't face that. Mm -hmm. So it's a defense mechanism in that way. But our society encourages us to to ignore those people. Do you, um, or does any part of your politics uh, and your involvement in, in political things flow out of anger? Oh, sure. Something. Sure. Sure. I think, I think probably that was the first real strong emotion that was mixed up with my political activity that sparked some sort of political awareness. Anger, it's, it's, with, it's with me all the time. I don't know if a person can love another person without feeling anger. Because a person who doesn't care doesn't feel anger. A person who doesn't care doesn't feel emotion. Mm -hmm. So unless you're feeling all of the emotions, the anger, the outrage, even the tiredness, even the depression, if you're not feeling those things, then you're not going to be active unless you're into, I don't know, disco clubs or, or... strange sex or something, I don't know. <laughs> um, just just randomly, um, or not just randomly, but, but what what are you angry at? Or who are you angry at when, when you're participating in something? Uh, it, it, I guess, well, first of all, I'm not on, you know, like sometimes the, the, the emotion that is strongest is love. Sometimes it's anger. Sometimes it's just plain tiredness and depression. But when I get angry, it's, it's, I don't think it's at individuals. I'm not even sure it's at classes. I'm not sure that I can even narrow it down to a class. I've never been really big on that business about class. It's, it's just at the damned unfairness of the way we've built our world. And why did we build it that way when it doesn't need to be that way? I don't know why it should be so hard to be gentle. And so even my anger is is tempered, I suppose, with, with frustration and not being able. Like, it's hard enough to express anger at somebody. But to express anger at this great big sort of amorphous thing is is really difficult. When you when you say that you've been rebelling against things since you were two, is that the sort of abstract thing that you've been re- rebelling against? Oh no, no. Or there's there's it? certainly been times in my life when I was rebelling and angry against specific things. My mm-hmm. father for years, bosses. 
lots and lots of times. Mm -hmm. Even an ignorant neighbor. <laughs> but uh, but do you ever make connections between uh, being angry at your boss as being a jerk, because maybe that's the way bosses have been set up to be, and is that is that not mindless anger, but is that anger at, at another person, or is that anger at bosses and the fact that we set up the world so that there are bosses? And there yeah, are I think it's more. It's yeah, I think it's more general, uh, a sort of anger and frustration at the position of bossship rather than at individuals. And when I get feeling that sort of anger and frustration about any sort of situation. I notice that I tend to start coming out with that 19th century sort of Canton rhetoric. Right. And I start thinking in that old way. Everything would be just fine if we could put them up against the wall. And that is really archaic thinking to me. How has that sort of thinking been tempered or, or um, in another way, how is... How has your politics been affected by your Christianity? Well... I mean, not that they're individual things anyway, but... Well, they aren't with me. I'm afraid they are with a lot of people. It's the same thing with me. But I guess that's why I, I don't really tend to see people as enemies. It's because this person is a boss, or this person is a policeman, or this person is a rapist, or this person is, is something else. I can't help thinking that underneath it, that person is just the dark side of me. That person is just another person who's gotten screwed up somehow. And I've got an idea that it's got something to do with our society. But I can't really imagine a person who's born evil. I can't see the concept of original sin. And so that's what Jesus was talking about. You know, like, they're really, he says, love your enemies. But if you love your enemies, then the enemy isn't an enemy. So it's sort of eradicating in a, in a loving way. And I've always found that, even even before I ever became political or expressed myself in political terms, I instinctively did that. When I was in the armed forces, every night was a drunk up, and in the barracks there was always a fight, a couple of fights breaking out every night. And very often somebody would come running into my room and grab me out of bed and drag me out in the hall to referee a fight. Or to stop a fight. And I just wind up in the middle of these tense situations all the time. And, and say, look, I mean, you're both drunk. I mean, what does it matter? Tomorrow you're going to be sore and hungover. And what is the point of all this? You know, and it, it became so crazy because people began to say, well, you're going to get Kenny, you know, and settle this. And, and I've had lots of times the day after when those guys would come to me and say, thanks for cooling that out. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's really rewarding. 
I don't know if I still do it. That's pretty obvious. That's pretty obvious stuff. But I think I do do it in, in probably more subliminal ways today. Mm-hmm. Just to go back to anger for a second and, and relating it to that, that's seems to me that, that a lot of a lot of activism does come out of anger, and and sometimes that's bad maybe because it's because people are just sort of angry at something and they don't know what it is and they might be angry you know at, a, at the sum total of at their parents their schools their jobs and um, and so it's just a thrashing out and you end up with things like you know and we all have have you know lived with you know calling Bill Dahm a shithead because he's a conservative and and you talk about you know GE and Quaker and all these you know, big monolithic evil people you know and how can how can John Grant, you know, president of Quaker, be any good because he runs a god awful shit corporation like that? You know? <laughs> um, I mean, do you sense that yourself? Do you, and and what do you think about that sort of anger? I mean, I think that it's like the battery in your car. It's good to start the machine, but you can't run very far like that because anger, I think, by its very nature, is sort of like money. It's it's not really neutral. It's like an acid. If you get anger, use it and channel it and get rid of it, that's fine. But if you keep living with it, it hurts you. Maybe it hurts you more than anybody else. So anger is definitely necessary in our lives and it's a good way to get a person motivated. But I, I just don't see how you could do it. For years and years, it would just turn you into a really bitter old shit. <laughs> yeah. No, no better than John Grant. <laughs> Where does guilt enter into all of this? Well, guilt—I don't know. I'm not—I'm not very big on guilt. You know, I used to think that guilt was sort of like, like a goad to keep you going. It's like. If I pass that person on the street and they ask me for a dollar and I don't give it to them, then halfway down the block I'm going to be guilty and the guilt will make me go back and give them a dollar. So it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. But I'm not, I, I really don't believe that the way I used to. I think guilt is, is as destructive as anger. There again, perhaps in the short term, it's useful. But if you went through life always running on, on, on guilt, you'd become just a really depressed, lousy feeling person. I, I don't like guilt. I don't like guilt in politics. I don't like guilt in, in, in religion or in spirituality. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably one of the, the main things that I have against institutional Christianity, is that it uses people just unbelievably and manipulates people with guilt. Yeah. Guilt is its middle name. Um, where does something like the, the food bank, um, not, well, both for you and, and sort of what you perceive others uh, sort of tie to it being, I mean, it seems to me that at one end, the food bank, the food bank at best can be described as an act of solidarity with one's community. Mm-hmm. 
you know, there are people without food and we, mm -hmm. we have food so we give it to them. On the other end, it's, it's, it can be just sort of a, a band-aid guilt relieving sort of thing mm -hmm. for, for, you know, people who go to, go to church, they drop off their can of food, the food problem is solved. Well, I haven't worked with the food bank for a couple of years. I was there at the inception of it and stayed with it for a, a couple of years. I haven't been with it a couple of years and I don't feel guilty about not being with it mm -hmm. because I'm not going to accept guilt. And I never saw my involvement with it as, as being somehow aimed at, at soothing my guilt. I, I, I just didn't get that deeply into it. I mean, it's just something that you do because it's preferable to doing something not as good. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I mean, you just can't get all hung up on, on the philosophy. That's the nice thing about dealing with people on a one-to-one -one basis. And philosophy just doesn't apply. It's just, how are you doing, man? You know? I see what you mean. Yeah. I think I've run out of things to talk about. If you've got else, you I don't like guilt. Yeah. No, guilt is a really bad, bad concept. I don't like guilt. I mean, guilt, it seems to me, plays in terms of our acculturation, especially in schools. Like, guilt is it's used as much as it is in church there. And it's, um, and I think that it comes down. You know, like Oxfam, for example, talks about itself as working in solidarity with people in other countries, whereas there's a lot of organizations like World Vision and places like that. Oh, I know. Like oh, I know. That's a real. Tr that's a real manipulative thing. Now, now you can be manipulated to good ends, mm -hmm. but it's still manipulative when you see hours and hours of starving children on television. It's it, it produces guilt, and we don't need it. We've got enough guilt. To hell with guilt. <laughs> <laughs> Let's finish there. <laughs> Have you got anything else you can think of, of saying about any of this? Well, I've, got, I've been, I was feeling guilty because I'm doing away with my paper in the spring. Right. With the digger. I'm, I'm going to stop doing it at the fifth anniversary. And I want somebody else to take it over. And I was feeling guilty about letting it go. But I'm not going to feel guilty about letting it go because I've done it for five years and it could only be better if somebody else would do it. Mm -hmm. why, why did you do it for five years? Because I mean, not, it, not why did you do it for five years, but why did you do it because, at all? Because I'm just feeling really sort of at the end of the trail with it and I just thought it would be nice to round it off with a five-year retrospective sort of thing. But in terms of why you... Why did the project at all? What was the original? Well, like you're, you, you've, you've talked about how you've done a lot of papers and, and they're big in that sort of, I mean, you've done Rascal before Digger and going back. Yeah, well, Digger sort of came out of that milieu of Rascal and, and Community Forum mm -hmm. and the Peterborough Bulletin. Remember all of those? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was just, I guess it was just to sort of it was sort of to put the whole thing in perspective for me and to share it with others. This business about all saying that Christianity is not about all that and that it is political. 
and it is more Catholic worker type stuff. And because it's fun. But I'm I'm kind of looking forward to not doing it. Mm-hmm. I maybe I don't know what. I was thinking maybe we'd I'd get into something like uh, another paper, but I think maybe probably I'm really pretty wor- worn out with paper stuff. I don't know about what I might just television. Well, TV. No, I think I was thinking more along the lines of of just a lot more of this sort of sidewalk interfacing with people. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'll just take six months and sit in front of the TV and veg out. Maybe you can become a professional marriage counselor. Oh, God. I don't want to counsel anybody about anything anymore. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Just maybe to finish off, you can you can talk about that um, and the counseling process, because you've done that before uh, to, to one extent or another. Um, and you've, I guess you just because of, of you know who you hang out with and who you've been involved with, you've, you've counseled activists. <laughs> um, 